Open your Bibles this morning to the book of James. And then we'll look at a passage in 1 Peter as well. I want to say to you uh, that I am not, in light of all that's happening in our world and, and in our nation and our city, uh, I want to tell you something. I'm not without hope. I'm telling you. Uh, you know, you can look at all these things that are going on and you say, man, life, what's, I'm just telling you something. I'll tell you who's still in control. The living God is still in control. Oh, he is. People make choices to go a wicked in their own way and open themselves up to the devil. But I want to tell you right now, if God's people will pray, God's people will seek his face, we can make a difference wherever we are. God can use us. I, I mean, I'm alarmed. I don't like what is happening in this nation. But I tell you one thing, I believe God and I believe there's hope. I'm expecting God to do mighty things. I'm expecting God to change things. I'm not living in despair. I'm not living in discouragement. And I will not live in defeat. My hope is in the living God. Amen? Now listen, folks, let's believe God to turn things around. Sometimes it has to get desperate. Sometimes it has to get dark for people to understand how much they need to turn to the living God. So let's pray and let's believe God. And let's be a part of the answer, living righteous and godly lives. And let's tell people that there's hope for them. There's hope for them in Jesus Christ. You know, we've been preaching these messages on what I call uh, the divine pattern. It's a biblical pattern that I discovered many, many years ago. And th the first book that I wrote, which was nothing but a bunch of sermons that they uh, printed up, called The Divine Pattern, was based on this. Humility, submission, and resistance. And this pattern is so clearly not only spoken by James, but it's spoken by Peter. They give the same pattern. So in James chapter 4, verse 4, look at what he says. You're going to see the divine pattern. Humility, submission, and resistance. Now, he's, he's, when he uses the word adulterers and adulteresses here, he's talking about people who've fallen in love with the world, the world system. And instead of being faithful to God, they've given in to the world system. So that's why he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. He said in verse 4 of James 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with this world system, friendship with this world is enmity with God? Whoever wants to be a friend of the world Talking about the world system with all of its darkness and evil. Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you not know that the scripture says in, uh, do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells, uh, the spirit that dwells in us yearns jealously. He said, listen, you've got to understand one thing. If you're a child of God, God's spirit yearns over you with jealousy. And if God sees you being a friend of the world and letting the world system control you, I mean, the Spirit of God is, God is a jealous God. And, and, and it grieves him when his children become a friend of this world system that is wicked and allow the world system uh, to control them. Verse 6 of James 4. But he gives more grace. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's the first one, humility. But God gives more grace. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. All right, listen at verse 7. Therefore, 
Since God is jealous, He doesn't want us to be in bed with the world system. What He does is God gives grace to the humble, and He said, therefore, just submit to God. I mean, surrender to Him. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Man, how clear it is. Humility. God gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There it is. Humility, submission, and resistance. We'll just turn over to the next book. And you find 1 Peter chapter 5. A different offer, Peter, writing but giving the same pattern. Absolutely giving us the same pattern. Humility, submission, and resistance. 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you. Be submissive. Talk about submission. Be submissive one to another. Get this. And be clothed with humility. There it is. Submission and humility. Submit to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Then verse 6, he talks about humility again. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your care on him. It's called submission. Cast all your care on him. He cares for you. Then he tells us to resist the devil. Look at the next verse. Verse 8, 1 Peter 5. Be sober. That means, friend, you, you, you better be an aware of what's going on in you and around you. Be sober. In other words, don't let your mind be clouded or confused. Be sober. Be vigilant. That means you've got to be alert about what's going on in you and around you. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, did you know you have an adversary? Well, who is it, Brother Fred? Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, intimidate, harass. That's what he's saying. He's just like a roaring lion seeking who he can intimidate, harass, and devour. Boy, look at verse 9. Resist him, not ignore him. Don't be ignorant of him. Don't be, fail to be sober and alert. Resist him. And he says to do it steadfastly. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. He said, just remember this, every one of your brothers and sisters in Christ are in the same battle that you were in. So you just be steadfast. You be sober. You be alert. You be steadfast. You resist the devil. Because every one of God's children is in a battle. Well, at this point, we preach two messages on humility. We preached two messages on submission. And today, this is the first message on resistance. And I'm calling it victory in the battle. Victory in the battle. I know you know, but let me remind you that we are in a battle. There is a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that I read many years ago, and I said, Lord, this is a pretty strong statement. Now, I want you to listen to the fact 
of how God describes his children and how God describes how we're supposed to live. Listen to what he says. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 3, 2 Timothy 2, chapter 2, verse 3, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, why in the world did he call us a soldier? Why didn't you say, well, man, endure hardness as a good, brother, a good child of, of Jesus Christ, a good follower of Jesus Christ? But um, he said, now, endure hardness as a good soldier. You know, soldiers are in a battle. They're fighting. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And boy, verse 4, God has used this verse in my life to keep me from getting involved in things that God didn't want me involved in. No man engaged in warfare. We are in warfare. No man engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. He just didn't get, doesn't get so spread out that he's not an effective soldier. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life. You don't get so caught up in this world so that you may please him who has enlisted you as a soldier. Wow. He said, endure hardness. You're a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, don't get so caught up in things that don't matter that you can't please the one who enlisted you in his army to be a soldier. Do you realize... You know, sometimes people just seem, I mean, it's just, it's so ignorant. They, there was a group of people that said, now, we have got to stop singing the song, Onward Christian Soldiers Marching Into War. Said, that's too militant. That's not good. Give me a break. My Lord, you better march onward as a Christian soldier because you've got a real enemy who will destroy you and your family and our, those around you and our nation. I'll tell you one thing, the church of Jesus Christ better be onward Christian soldiers. Now, I'll just take a moment and talk to you about the reality of the battle. James said, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and that includes every demonic spirit that's under his control. The chances of you ever having a personal encounter with Satan himself. Let me tell you about the devil. He is not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere. He is a created being. He cannot be everywhere at the same time. He is not omnipresent. Let me tell you another thing about the devil. He's not omniscient. He does not know all things. He's a created being. He's crafty. He's powerful. Way up in the hierarchy of the, uh, in heaven. But he's not omniscient and he's not omnipresent. And he's certainly not omnipotent. He has, does not have all power. And, but you need to understand that the Bible says most of our absolute hand-to-hand -hand combat in this spiritual warfare is not with the devil himself, but those fallen angels. And there was a myriad, myriad of angels that fell. They're called demons. Most of our battle... Is, is with the demonic spirits. Now, don't misunderstand. You do address Satan when you resist him because they're all under his command and they have to do what we tell him to do. But you understand that we're talking about really a hand-to-hand -hand combat with demonic spirits. But James said, resist the devil. He will flee from you. Peter said, resist this devil, steadfast in the faith.
Now, you know that's what Jesus did. It was right after a great victory in Jesus' life. I'm talking about the reality of the battle. He had been baptized by John the uh, Baptist, not that he needed to be baptized, but as an example of submission to the Father that he wanted us to follow. And right after he was baptized by John the Baptist, a voice came from heaven, the dove descended like a dove, and the voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. And he fasted. And in that 40-day period, I think it was probably toward the end, that's when he had his face-to-face, head-to-head encounter with the devil. Satan came to him, first temptation, in his body. Command these stones be made to bread. Jesus resisted him with the word of God and said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil tempted Jesus in his soul. He carried him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said, Now, if you'll just jump off, God will send his angels to catch you, and everybody will know who you are. And Jesus said, No, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. And then, of course, the great temptation is when he took Jesus up on the mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, talking about the world system. He said, Let me tell you one thing, Jesus. You see these kingdoms of this world system? You see them? He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you every one of them. And he had authority. It was a fallen world. He said, I'll give you every one of these kingdoms if you'll just fall down and worship me. Worship the devil? And Jesus responded to him. Up this time, he's not told him to leave. He's just in doing battle with him. Jesus responded to him and said, you shall, I will worship the Lord my God, and him only will I serve because you, you serve who you worship. And then he said, get away, and Satan left. Now, see, Jesus shows us that the battle is real. Boy, one of the most amazing show, encounter of Jesus with the devil, I'm showing you the reality of the battle and how Jesus Christ exercised his authority. It says they crossed the sea and came to the uh, country of the Gadarenes. And evidently where they docked the, a little boat, the, it was close to a cemetery. And there was a man in that cemetery who was absolutely demon-possessed. In fact, Jesus asked him the name of the demons that were in him, and he said, Legion, which, which meant many. Well, in, in Mark chapter 5, when Jesus comes on the scene, this man who had been in the tombs, now listen to what he'd been doing. He'd been in the tombs crying out day and night. They had tried to subdue him, but he broke the chains. And notice this, he was constantly cutting himself with stones, obviously tormented by the devil. Just as soon as he said, saw Jesus, he said, called, he said, Son of God, have you come here? to?" T-? The Bible says, now get this, that this man fell down and worshiped Jesus and said, have you come to torment me? And Jesus said to the unclean spirit, you get out of this man, you get out of him. And then Jesus asked him his name, and he said, Legion. And you know, and, and, and then the demons spoke to Jesus and said, don't just cast us out. And, and, and I don't understand all this, but Jesus said, okay. And he cast, put him in the pigs. You remember that? Herd of swine. And they all ran down the hill. See, the devil always destroys. They ran down the hill, and all of them drowned. But. In Mark 5, 
It says all the people got upset, not because this man had been set free, but because their pigs had drowned. You know how that goes. Oh, yeah, that's the truth. But I love this verse. I love the power of Jesus. Hallelujah for the power of Jesus. The Bible says, and they saw the man. This is a guy that had been cutting himself, breaking chains and screaming in the night in the tombs. And they said, this man, there he was, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Boy, I love that. People say, Brother Fred, how you doing? I said, I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus, and I'm clothed and in my right mind. You said, that's debatable. But that's a good way to answer people. Man, I love it. I can see him cutting himself, screaming, tormented. But the Son of God set him free. And now he's seated at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Praise the name of Jesus. Jesus showed, showed the battle. And then Paul tried his best to say, now look, you're in a war. And if you want to turn with me, turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Because he tells us, now look. It's a reality now. You're in a war. And he said, you better put on God's armor. You better clothe yourself for battle. Don't you dare go out to battle without the armor of God on you. He said, now you've got to because you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You're not wrestling uh, against flesh. All right, so let's just start looking in verse 10 of Ephesians 6. You say, Brother Fred, am I really in a battle? Yeah, you're in a battle with the world system. You're in a battle with your own flesh that wants to do its own thing, but you're in a battle with the devil and demonic spirits. You're in a battle. So this is what he said. He said, now, there are only, only going to be a few that are in the battle. He didn't say that. They're just going to be one or two. No, no. He said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He said, now, I want you to be strong in Jesus. And in the power of his might, he said, now, put on the whole armor of God. We got armor. Man, we, we're in a battle. Put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand, not run, not be defeated, not go under. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the, the wiles, the strategies, the schemes of the devil. For we are not wrestling, and the word there in the Greek is hand-to-hand combat. I mean, friend, we're talking about hand-to-hand. He says, we're not in hand-to-hand combat against flesh and blood. We're not fighting human foes. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts. Talking about all those fallen demonic spirits. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore you take up the whole armor of God. So you may be able to withstand. And having done all, you can stand. And then he describes armor. Wrap yourself in truth. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, uh, by which you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And he tells us to put on the helmet of salvation, and then take the shield of faith, by which you can 
Quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying always. That's a part of the weapons. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So Paul said, listen. You don't fight the devil and the demons in your own power. You're strong in the Lord. You're in the power of His might. And you put on the whole armor of God. And then he listed. And I wish I had time to tell you what every piece means. But that, that's another sermon. But I mean, he said, just put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand and having done all to stand. Now, but let me move on. I'm not, I've talked about the reality of the battle. But now let me talk to you about the rejoicing of the Lord Jesus Christ, victory over the devil on the cross and in his resurrection. See, you've got to understand. You say, but Brother Fred, this, this is, is a wicked world. And I'm not just talking about America, man. You go to England, anywhere you want to go. Uh, it's just, it's just a, we're living in an ungodly world, uh, you know. And, and you say, but man, uh, it looks like the devil's winning. Uh, just let me tell you this. He is defeated, amen. He's defeated now. He's under the feet of Jesus. And the battle is raging and people are have choices. But I'm telling you, the victory is won. And I want to tell you something. Satan knows that he's defeated. The demons know that he's defeated. And they know that they're headed to hell. They know that. But you know they want to destroy everybody and anything they can on the way. And the closer it gets to the coming of Christ, the harder they fight. That's the harder they fight. All right. So now let's think about the victory. Did you know, here's the awesome thing. Well, this book... I can understand why they didn't want them to bring it in that country. Because I'm going to tell you, this book is alive and powerful. And it's sharp and in two-edged sword. This is a, I mean, it's a powerful book. Did you know back in Genesis 3, the Bible said that Jesus was going to defeat the devil. You remember when the serpent deceived Eve? And so in Genesis 3, 14, now stay with me. I want to show you right here. It says, Satan, you're going to be defeated. So the Lord said, to, Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. You shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity, all right, between Satan, Lucifer, who was cast out. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now, you notice he said, that there was going to be enmity between him and the seed of the woman. Because you see, back in Genesis it was telling us that there would not be a male seed from which Jesus was born. It was going to be a, uh, a virgin was going to conceive. The Holy Spirit was going to conceive Jesus and Mary. That's why the virgin birth is so important. It was the seed of the woman. Jesus is the seed of the woman. And so he said, now, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now listen to what it says. He will bruise your head. He is going to bruise your head, Satan. And you will bruise his heel. Right there in the first book of the Bible, the Word of God says, Satan, Jesus is going to crush your head. He's going to bruise your head. All you're going to do is bruise his heel. And so we've got to understand the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross. In John 19, uh, John 19, verse 30, one of my, just one word that Jesus spoke 
with a loud voice from the cross, having suffered. Now, now, now this is what went on. All of your sins, all of my sins, the sins of the whole world were placed on the Son of God. On the cross, he made him, the Father did, to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. He bore our sins in his body on that cross. That was a battle raging. You see, what gave Satan entrance into human lives and where Satan could get his victory was because of the sinfulness of man and man's sinful heart. But now here Jesus, the Lamb of God, our substitute, our propitiation, is taking every one of our sins, past, present, and future. He, the Father made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. He bore our sins and his body on that cross. The sinless one, he died in our place. And as Jesus came to the end of that great battle on the cross where he was bearing our sins, he was going to take the weapon out of the devil's hand. When Jesus was there in that final moment before he ascended to his father, Jesus went to the tomb and then raised him three days. The final word Jesus Christ said was, it is what? Finished. It is finished. He did not say, I am finished. He was only getting started. You know what he was saying? I just overcame the sins of the whole world. I just died for the sins of every man, woman, boy, girl, and teenager that would ever be born. I just took care of the sin problem. I died for their sins. I overcame the world system, and I, I just dealt the devil a blow, and I crushed his head. I bruised his head, and he said, it is finished. The victory is won. It is finished. The victory is won. And it was such an awesome victory that you know what happened? There was a veil in the temple that had separated people from the presence of God. Inside that veil was a holy of holies. But when Jesus said it was finished, God reached down from heaven and tore that veil in two from top to bottom and said, hallelujah, welcome into the presence of the living God. Because victory had been won. And I want to tell you right now, we have victory in Jesus over the devil and every one of his demonic spirits. The victory is ours, and it's not because of what we did. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. And the devil knows that he is finished when he looks at the cross. You can try to reason with him and talk to him and he'll laugh at you. But I'll tell you, you point him to the cross and you point him to the blood of Jesus and he knows he's a finished foe. We rejoice in the victory of Jesus. Ephesians 1, just listen to this now. I want you to listen to, to the victory of Jesus. One nineteen. now stay with me. I'm showing you that we have the victory. What is the exceeding greatness of God's power to us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power. Now what kind of power is it? Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. There Jesus was crucified. The devil and all the demons said defeat. They placed him in a tomb. But glory to God on the third day. 
The stone rolled away, and Jesus came out of that grave victoriously. He was resurrected by the power of God. He was resurrected in victory. He was resurrected in glory. He was resurrected in power. He said, I want you to know the mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now get this, and seated him at his right hand. Now let me tell you right now, if God would just open heaven, we'd see Jesus in all of his glory, and all of his power, and all of his majesty, and all of his authority. We'd see him right there at the right hand of the Father, seated there in, in a place of majesty and power, and raised him up and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Now listen, far above all principalities and powers and bite and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but is in the age to come. Are you listening? He put all things under his feet. So here's Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father in power and glory and majesty and victory, declared to be the Son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead. Here he is in power. And the Bible says that God has put every principality in power and all, all, uh, every name that is named, not only in this world, but the world to come and dominion. He's put it all. He's put it all under the feet of Jesus. All under the feet of of Jesus. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. I want to tell you today, the devil is under the feet of Jesus. The demons are under the feet of Jesus. The world system is under the feet of Jesus. And, and, and the flesh, listen, praise God. Jesus is in authority and the devil and all the demons of hell are under the feet of the Son of God. Why in the world should they ever have any victory over us? Because they're under his feet, and he's our Lord, and he's our master, and he's our Savior, and he's the one we serve. They have no right to have victory over us. None. I'm reading it. Put all things under his feet and made him to be head over the church. And you're the church. Everybody in whom Jesus dwells, he's head over the church, which is his body. In Colossians chapter 2, I'm talking, I'm rejoicing in the victory of Jesus. The Bible says in verse 13 and 14, he spoiled, now get this, Jesus spoiled principalities and powers and made them a public spectacle, triumphing over them in the cross. He spoiled them. He triumphed them through the cross. You see, we're rejoicing in the victory of Jesus. And I want to tell you what he said before he left. And you need to remember this. He got ready to leave and he said to his disciples, now look, you're in a world. Satan is a ruler of this world system. He's the prince of this world system. And you're going to be in war. And buddy, were they in war? Every one of them died a martyr. He said, you're going to be. But I want to tell you one thing. I have all authority. He says, he says, I have all authority. This is Jesus. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. So I, you want to know who has all authority in heaven and on earth? Jesus. Matthew 28, 19, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Now you go and preach the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and make disciples of every nation. Folks, listen to me. For a child of God, we are not praying for victory. We're thanking God for the victory that has already been won. And all we're doing is enforcing the victory that Jesus has given us. That's why the Bible says to you, resist the devil. That's why the Bible says to resist the devil. That's why the Bible says for us to put on the whole armor of God. Because we're in a battle, and the battle has already been won by the Son of God. Now, 
Okay. I got too much to say in too little a time, but here's what I want to tell you. All right, here, I'm going to tell you now. I've talked about the reality of the battle. I've talked about rejoicing in the finished work of Christ and through the cross that he's won the victory. Now I'm going to talk to you about how you overcome the devil in your daily life. And I, I'm just going to touch on it. And, 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 but I, I, I'm, I, all right, the first thing the Bible tells you not to do. Okay, we're in a battle. We got on the armor. First of all, the Bible says for you not to give any place to the devil. Don't give him any place. In, 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 in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 27, I just listened to this. It says, therefore, it says, if you put on the new man, this is Ephesians 4, 24. You can go read this later. You put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. He said, you're a new creation in Christ. You put on the new man, therefore put away lying. Let each one speak truth with his neighbor. Remembers one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Righteous anger. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger or wrath. Nor give place to the devil. He said, now don't you give any place to the devil. There are two ways you give place to the devil. You may tell you how you do it. Two ways. One way you and I give place to the devil are demonic spirits and give them access to attack us. I didn't say possess us, but I said attack us. Is if there's any area of our life that is unyielded to God. In other words, if you say, well, I've got 80% of my life is yielded to Christ. 80% of my life is under his authority. Then that means 20% of his li- your life is fair game. And that's exactly where the enemy comes and attacks you and defeats you. So you say, well, how do I give place to the devil, Brother Fred? When you have any area of your life that is not under the authority of Jesus. Now listen, if an area of your life is under the authority of Jesus, the devil has no access to it and can't touch you. But if there is an area of your life that is not yielded to Christ and not under his authority, then you're open to the attack of the enemy. And so what I'm saying is you give place to the devil when there's any any area of your life that is not yielded and not under Christ's authority. Well, I am not going to put my marriage life under uh, under Christ's authority. I'm not going to put my finances under Christ's authority. I'm not going to put my job under Christ's authority. I I can take care of my marriage. I can take care of my finances. I can take care uh, of, of, of my family, all this stuff. Listen to me. Let me tell you something. You can't do it. You are no match for the devil. I want you to know that. So you have to have every area of your life under the authority of Jesus Christ. And when it's under the authority of Jesus Christ, the devil has to leave it alone. And you can tell him to stop. Here's the second place you give place to the devil. It's when you've got unconfessed sin in your life. There's sin in your life. You know it's a sin, but you won't deal with it. You will not deal with it. God convicts you. I'm talking about God's children. God convicts you. God speaks to you. God deals with you. And you know that God is dealing with you. You're under conviction. You know you need not only confess that sin, but you know you need to turn away from that sin. But you will not do that. You still hold on to it. You love that sin. Now let me tell you right now. Any area of your life that's not under the authority of Christ, not yielded, that gives access to the enemy. 
any area of your life where there's sin that you have not confessed, dealt with, and forsaken, you, you open yourself wide up to the devil. You have given him place. And let me tell you one thing. He will take that place. He's like a roaring lion moving to and fro, seeking who may devour. There's one other way. You give, you give access to the devil. You open your life. You do not have victory when there's any uh, when you give place to the devil, either by an unyielded area of your life or by unconfessed sin. But uh, then there's another area that you wait the way that you, uh, if you're going to overcome Satan and his demons, you can not give place to the devil. And here's the second thing you have to do. You've got to be sober. You've got to be alert. You've got to be diligent. You have to be aware of what's going on around you. Now, let, let me tell you this. What you're dealing with is either coming from the world system of which Satan is a ruler, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. What you're dealing with is either coming from the world system or it's coming from your flesh, that part of you that was put to death on the cross. But still, the Bible says we're in a battle, flesh and the spirit in a battle, uh, that what's coming, you could be coming from your flesh, or it could be coming from a demonic spirit. So what you've got to do is be alert and sober and vigilant and say, I know that's not coming from the world system because I've not given place there. I know this not coming from my flesh because I've chosen against my flesh, and I do not want my flesh to rule in me. This has to be coming from a demonic attack where Satan is attacking me, uh, in this area of my life. Now, he can attack you, but if you're under the authority of Jesus and your sins are confessed, he can't have victory. But you, you've got to know where the, the attack's coming from. That's why he kept saying, be sober, be vigilant, be sober, be vigilant. Boy, I tell you, I wish we could get this. Man, I just wish we could get it. Over in 2 Corinthians, you know what Paul said the problem was? He said that we're ignorant. He said, we're just ignorant of Satan's devices. We're ignorant of his schemes. It's in, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 10. Let, let me just read this to you. He said, in verse 10 and 11, he said, um, well, 2 Corinthians 2. Great, great day. That's 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. Now, listen to what he said. You don't need to, I'm, what I'm, I'm talking about now, if we're going to overcome, we've got to be sober and alert. It says, Paul said, to whom you forgive anything, I forgive. If indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. He said, I'm walking in forgiveness. I ain't got no bitterness, no unforgiveness, no anger. Because I'm, I'm telling you, that's a big, big deal in this victory thing. He said, uh, if you forgive anything, I forgive him. If, if I've forgiven anything, I've forgiven that one for the sakes of Christ. Lest Satan to take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Second Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. Paul said, 
Man, we know we're sober and we're alert and we know how the devil operates. We know how the demons operate. And we're not ignorant of his schemes and his plans and his methods. We know. And, and we know if we're bitter, man, we've opened the door wide open to the devil. And we know if we are, uh, are unforgiving, we've opened ourselves wide up. And if we've got unconfessed sin, we've opened ourselves wide up. If we've got an unyielded area, man, we've opened ourselves wide up. He said we're not ignorant. So you've got to be sober. You've got to be vigilant. You've got to know his methods and plans. Well, I'm on, I'm on, I, I'm, I, I, don't like, I don't like clocks. All right, I'm, I'm going to tell you how we overcome him. Revelation 12:10. this is what he says. And I can, I can give you this in a couple of minutes. And they overcame him. Talking about the devil. Said the accuser of the brethren was cast down. And they overcame him by the word of their testimony. By the blood of the lamb. And they loved not their life unto death. Now right there, those three things. He was cast down. The accuser of the brethren. And says, and they overcame him. By the word of their testimony. By the blood of the Lamb. Because they didn't love their lives unto death. Here's the first thing. You've got to know who you are in Jesus Christ. You know your testimony is this. When you are attacked by the world, the flesh of the devil, when you're attacked by a demonic spirit, you've got to know your testimony. Let me tell you one thing. I am a child of the living God. Jesus Christ lives in me. I am washed in His blood. I am robed in His righteousness. I'm under His authority. And all that Christ is, He is in me. And Satan, you're a defeated foe. And from my position in Christ, my testimony is, you cannot defeat me. You have no authority in my life because I am a child of the living God. You overcome by the word of your testimony. Know who you are in Jesus and declare it. The devil knows who you are in Jesus. The problem is you don't know who you are in Jesus. They overcame him by the, blood of, the word of their testimony. Whew, by the blood of the Lamb, the cross. I'm telling you, the devil is absolutely terrified by the blood of Christ. Because you see, the blood of Christ is the very life of God. And when you say, I, Satan, I place the blood of Christ between me and every one of your demons, and I command you to stop, friend, he ain't got no choice. Now, if you've, if you've got sin in your life and you hadn't confessed it and you've, give, you've got unyielded areas of your life not under authority, hey, you done messed up. You, you've given place to the. But when as far as you know, you're right with God, you say to him in any demon spirit, I want you to know right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you to leave my presence. And I place the blood of Jesus Christ between me and you, Satan, and every demon. And the blood of Christ is against you and seals me off from you. And you will not touch me in Jesus' name. He has to stop when you confront him with the blood of Christ. Oh, yeah, he has to. He knows. And so they overcame him by the word of their testimony, by the blood of the Lamb. Boy, I love this. And they loved not their life to death. They were surrendered. They were already surrendered. They, they just, hey, they belonged to Jesus. So they love not their life to death. So the devil came to him and said, well, I'll tell you one thing. If you follow Jesus, I'm going to take everything you got away from me. You, you said, I, you can't take anything away from me because I don't have nothing. It all belongs to Jesus. 
Then he comes and says, well, I'll tell you what. If you won't follow Jesus, I'll give you everything that you want. You say, you can't give me nothing. I already got everything. How do you get to a man or woman who doesn't have anything but has everything? They love not their life unto death. They were under the authority of Jesus, surrendered to him. And that's not one thing that the devil can do with a man or woman that is totally surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. He, you know, he, he says, well, I, I'm going to destroy you. You say, you can't destroy me. I'm in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, nothing can pluck me out of his hand. They overcame him. By the blood of the, by their, the, they overcame him by the word of their testimony. By the blood of the Lamb and by complete surrender, they love not their life unto death.